welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, hey, everybody. What's up? So this podcast is actually a replayed podcast. This was a, well, it was a cleared hot podcast. It was Andy Stumpf's cleared hot podcast. We decided to record it as a cleared hot. Uh, but I also just, you know, we, we had this discussion of um, when we sat down, the three of us, for this podcast we were like who wants it do you want it do you want it do you want it in the end uh we just did it for cleared hot for andy and we really didn't know what direction we were going to go in discussion but because we did discuss so much about archery and then also so much about certain aspects to archery that i think are you know not sorry we talked about aspects of life that relate to archery and that relate um to just man being a better person being a better athlete uh so i was definitely excited to just say dude let's share this one so this podcast is with myself jocko willink and andy stump hope you enjoy it gentlemen First off, I don't know if the internet is actually ready for this because I get hit up all the time about you. You get hit up all the time about me. And I love it when your listeners ask you when I'm going to come on your podcast. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Have you checked the list Google. of people that have already been on the podcast? <laughs> Google. I get book recommendations too of books I've already done. Yeah. And I, and I, John, I are always, you ever going to talk about About Face? Yeah. And I usually say, I, I just say, um, check podcast number two or check podcast podcast number 68 or whatever whatever number that book is and then they're like mm, sorry well you never hear them from them again <laughs> is what happens yeah they qu- quietly lurk back to their corner uh the last few days have been awesome for reasons i think we've all talked about individually like last night learning jujitsu a intro fire hose to the face obviously <laughs> which is probably the only way you can describe an intro class yeah from jocko um, watching Dudley teach somebody about archery. I describe him as Yoda, but not green and much taller. <laughs> and then uh, hopefully, you know, you learned a little bit about jumping. I was yep. probably the weak link in that <laughs> chain. But the fact that uh, you get to get outside of your wheelhouse, and I know Jock and I, we were talking about it at the archery shop. It's so cool to learn something new and get outside of your comfort zone because I think we're all kind of the same. We might trend a little bit towards what we're good at (laughs) and stick in that wheelhouse but it's been really cool in the last three days to go one to the other to the other and just kind of see the eyes opening up a little bit like today i saw john's eyes wide (laughs) i was super mad at myself (laughs) i literally told him when we got to the ground Please stop shaking your head at anger in yourself during the skydive. We'll debrief afterwards. You can tell he's aware enough in the dive. I'm sitting there looking at him. He's just like, God damn it. Yeah. What was making you mad? Well, I think part of it is 
part of the certification is that you have to focus on certain aspects. Mm-hmm. And whenever you're learning something new, you get taught something that you know is principle, but then when you're focusing on a next step and you lose like recollection of that principle that should have been a step, but mm-hmm. you've stepped over it and you realize right away there's a reason that one was last time. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I don't know, it's, I have a, I haven't really exp- gone too far outside of my wheelhouse just because there's certain things that just weren't of interest. But these last few days have been so awesome for me because the slates are so clean that my natural, I don't know, like my, just my natural personality of how competitive I am, it's really been ramped up these last few days because (laughs) I haven't, I've probably slept four hours. I, I literally slept two hours the first night here because I was thinking about all the things they were telling me that I should do. And mainly because we went to iFly the first night. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about things that I needed to do, you know, within that freaking tube. And then the next day when we did jujitsu, I literally would wake up thinking about not only your fist in my throat, but <laughs> <laughs> I loved how the, like we, Sharon and Harry have never done any type of self-defense ever. So it's, Literally, we start the class with Jocko getting on top of Andy in a full mount, and he goes, okay, this is the full mount. This is a very bad situation for you. (laughs) I could pound your face into the ground. I can have my way with you. (laughs) And it's just like, oh, my God. So, and the fact that uh, these guys took pictures, it wouldn't have bothered me until I got home and I started looking pictures of when you and I were rolling. And then I realized the like everything you were telling me, it, it computed, but it didn't compute at the level. And then the same is the exact same thing is true for skydiving. Cause I told Annie, I said, it should be mandatory that there's always a filmer with students because when he told me my positioning, if I wouldn't have saw it firsthand, I would have argued it. Like I would have said, I think my hands were very, very good. And I said, I think your hands were not very, very good. <laughs> we used to do that in the teams. You know, you'd film guys when they're doing house movement, and the guys would just not believe what you were debriefing on. And then you'd show them, and then it's just, it, it's shocking. Yeah. Well, and the same's true for archery, right? I mean, when you and I were working, I could just say, here, here you were 20 minutes ago. Here's where you are now, and this is why I like it. And, you know, at that time, you didn't really know what I was even looking for. You were just trying to follow instruction. Yeah. But I think now that you've done it a few days, you you know, there's a good possibility, which is why I want follow-up. There's a good possibility that even though you had done it perfect then, there's a good chance a few things regressed. For sure. And that's what happened on my third jump today. Is that right? The mm-hmm. third jump, I felt very solid. And I was super confident, but then there was almost a two hour lag between jumps just because of, you know, transport up. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like that amount of time out of the saddle, let me not have my routine as fresh. And by the time we walked up to the 
to the board and they said, okay, here's what you're going to work on. Here's what you're going to work on. I was so focused on four, you know, level four, just looking at that. It's like at the start of the day, I had started on one checklist, 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 then went into two, this list, this list. And on three, I, f- I felt really good. I felt like that was my best jump. Yep. And then on four, I felt like there was so much time that had passed that I lost focus. And as much as I wanted to do it right, I didn't. And I'm, I, I think people that don't try new things are missing out on life because, I mean, I'm fired up right now because I've got, I've got two things that are keeping me awake, <laughs> literally keeping me awake. And I have this deadline right now with, uh, I've got a, a feature article for the biggest bow hunting magazine of the year. And it's officially six days late. And even this morning, the editor's calling me. He's like, this thing is going to print Wednesday night. And I said, I've rewrote the first paragraph to this 17 times because I'm literally writing it. And then somewhere in the middle of it, it says skydiving or legs are too high. It's like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Good times. Yeah. I keep trying to tell him that uh, he's doing great. Like teaching people how to skydive. What year did you learn how to jump? Mm, 1990. Three. Did you? So you went through Yuma? Yep. Through the original? Uh, El Centro. Okay. Wind tunnel involved at all? Negative. <laughs> okay. And these are the things that I'm like, yes. And and now we shall begin. Um, teaching somebody to skydive without the wind tunnel is like playing chess in a dryer that's on. <laughs> it's There's a lot going on. That's a great it's, analogy. Spatial awareness, remembering all of those things that Dudley forgot on his last jump. <laughs> she's doing phenomenally well. I keep trying to tell him he's doing great. He's. What's amazing is that he's. <clears throat> it's rare to see somebody that present in the moment learning those skills because for most people it's completely overload. And some of the most horrendous jumps of my life have been holding on to a student, ready, ready to exit the aircraft, and they're supposed to visually look at you and check in. And they do visually look at you, and they say, check in. And in their eyes, you see the Mac scroll wheel of death, and it's just like, mother of God, here we go. And you exit. And that's, the, that's just they're horrified? They're, or is it they're panicking? I think a lot of it depends on um, everything you've done leading up to that moment. If you I – mean, Dudley, uh, I don't like the word uh, extreme sports or activities, but he's been in, I would say, some very intense moments, hunting, pressure-filled moments for sure. Right. Uh, and I bet you would agree that if you if you steep yourself in that particular cup of tea long enough, you develop a capacity to deal with it better. So he's not overloaded. People who come at the age of 18, like, man, I want to learn how to skydive. I want to be on YouTube. It's like, all right, cool. Let me introduce you to another instructor that's not me that's going to teach you how to do this. <laughs> because they they can't compute. It can't compress. You'll literally be making eye contact and giving them a corrective signal and they're looking at you it's like what what do you got for me it's like this right here but he's super heads up he's alert he's aware he's altitude aware it's uh it's rare to see that and i was actually going to ask you for most people coming into jujitsu are they aware or are they overloaded because i'm curious about the initial learning process overloaded yeah it's almost like trying to learn how to skydive without the wind tunnel yeah yeah, and I was 
talking about the fact that jujitsu is so vast it's 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 infinite it's truly infinite and so it's there's so much there that even you know the intro class or whatever you want to call it is just a little tiny minuscule fraction so there's so much stuff so what you walk away from your first class in jujitsu is these questions about body position arm position and life (laughs) you know you're saying like how does this even work how did this even happen yeah and yeah you you, get overloaded it might be bad for me skydiving or jujitsu Mm, probably jujitsu more than any just because my personality type <laughs> I don't know I don't know what you're I talking about I feel bad saying that because at least at least from that aspect that plays into something that I think a lot of people are missing in life that I think is really important and that's that's literally learning acclimation to pressure situations and you're never going to learn it unless you jump in you literally jump into the fire so, you know, people ask me, at least in my world of like big animals, you know, how, how do I not get nervous when there's this giant bull screaming at me? Or how do I not, you know, get super nervous when there's like, I come around a corner and there's a grizzly bear right there. It's like, well, yeah, I can see that's nervous, but I actually remember one time shooting in a metal round where I was in a downtown street of Poland and they put the target like at the end of a street because there was a big mural of the Pope there. And I remember drawing back at 70 meters and I anchor in and I get into my scope and I'm like doing my best in a gold medal situation to keep my pin in the center of the target. And then I just seen all these heads just leaning into my scope (laughs) because the crowd was lined up to the target and people's everyone was fighting to try to see the archer and all i thought was how how many years are you in a polish prison if you just stuff a carbon arrow through someone's face <laughs> and i just you know i started tremoring on the front and i'm like pull through baby pull through pull through and i pulled through and as i came off the line my uh, teammate goes jesus christ dudley he goes freaking get your shit together like as we pass each other and then he drew back and he was literally in his scope about two seconds and I just saw it start and I go, Yeah, get some of that. <laughs> and he and he and it wasn't good. But I think had he uh, been had he been to a uh, a uh, had you guys as a team been to like a sports psychology training so that he knew the right thing to say to you at that moment, which was get your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's a real way to support your teammate. I think right like there. 60% of men are just born with that particular <laughs> trait of understanding what to say in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that really helped you out. I think when you get to that level, you've, well, the cream, the cream kind of rises to the tops at certain, at certain aspects. So, I mean, there's, there's times where, and there's certainly been times with um, teams in the past because in the U.S. there always had to be open team selections because that's part of the way the funding worked. Because the funding was like government funding on certain aspects, it had to be an open thing. So there's certainly been times where we've had people make teams where they were just flukes. And then you go to a big event and you think, this like we literally have a really green person that 
this is a wild card. Like this, the wheels could come off this pony real quick. And I mean, and obviously there's times where people surprise you. And then there's times where people do what you would expect to happen. And that's never had dealt with that situation ever in their life. So I've talked in the past. It's like, you know, when people say, well, how do I deal with performance anxiety when it comes to big events? And I'm like, you got to get to them. I lost way more than I've ever won. And it's because I got to a point where I, I finally just got pissed enough at myself to say, I am tired of losing in this situation. I needed, I need to execute right now. I mean, I know I'm nervous. I can't breathe. My freaking throat feels tight, but like, I've got to make this happen right now. And it just got to the point where some people maybe do it naturally, but I got to the point where I was mad enough at myself to where I flipped a leaf. And then once I flipped that leaf, then like none of what I've done with you has been hard to me. Cause I've like a lot of times I've checked my pulse and I've never gone over 65 in any jump that I've had. We're going to throw a chest strap on tomorrow and see how valid that is. <laughs> Good. <clears throat> Legitimately, it's it's, but it's refreshing to see in the door. Like, okay, you're with me. We're talking. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing as a guy stacked on a door, and you look back, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts on archery so far in your extended archery career? Yeah, um, as an archer, <laughs> 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 having shot, I don't know, fifty arrows or something like that. Oh, it's it's, it's awesome. You shoot this morning. I did not shoot yet today. Okay. So it'll be a it'll be a late night session. What did you think it was going to be like? I guess it was you know you know to be honest with you it was very much what I thought it was going to be like. Um, it's target acquisition. It's the same kind of mechanics that you're doing for shooting. Yep. Um, I guess that not the same mechanics. Well, you're looking for the same. I'm saying the sight the sight picture is the same as it is in an H and K rifle, which is awesome because I always like preferred that sight and. You're looking through for that sight picture. You're holding that sight picture. You're waiting for a surprise as you squeeze the trigger, and it's a very similar thing. So I liked it. I liked it a lot. It was awesome. I liked how you described it yesterday as the mental break from the normal daily routine, a way to detach and go out there and reset yourself. Yeah, no, it's, it definitely is that, and you can sit there and, like I said, I, I, I'm pretty busy um, in general. Yeah. And so for me to be able to go and shoot, you know, uh, 12 arrows or something like that which again I, I've just done it a couple days in a row like okay I can I can go shoot some arrows right now just nice and uh, nice relaxing thing to do and you can focus on these little things and it's 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 a gratifying it feels good you know it feels good to to hit that target yep so yeah I like it I can't wait for a hunt we just got to put it on the calendar now yeah given the fact you're busy yeah yeah for sure 370 days out of the year yeah, I'm, yeah, <laughs> fairly busy. Yeah. So, uh, jujitsu. You say it's it's infinite, right? Mm-hmm. I have obviously, given I've started about a month ago, I got mm-hmm. a ton of questions. The human skeletal system is not really evolving, so how can it be infinite if the mechanism you're starting from is finite? Because you can manipulate it in infinite number of ways, and and so. Maybe infinite's the wrong word. Maybe it's 180 billion. You, you know, like there's, <laughs> there's, there's some, at some point you yeah. could, I guess, but 
it's it's a huge number it's a huge number because you can do so much with the human body and it's there's so many points to attack and there's so much leverage involved and then there's different because even though all of the human body is all the same well your body is a lot different from John's body which is a lot different from my body and and we actually have to change our jujitsu to fit us at a certain level and so that's a part of it too there's counters there's it just goes on forever it really does it goes on forever I was surprised to hear you say on the mat that you would have kicked your ass from six months ago. Absolutely. That was cool. Yeah. And you, you got your black, uh, black belt in 10 years, and you've had it for 12, and I don't know. I, I don't know enough about it, but to think that in just that six-month time period, somebody who's yep. already at your level is like, oh, no, no. Yep. <laughs> what yeah, because myself. I've got – I learned you know two new things, so it's yep. me – with two extra things. I'm going to do those two things that I don't know <laughs> to myself, and it's going to work. And, and that's through different training partners and just consistently and constantly training going partners, after it. Constantly going after it, constantly just trying to add to your game, getting out of your comfort zone, you know, which yeah. is a lot of what we did over the last couple of days was out of our comfort zone. But if you stay in your comfort zone in jiu-jitsu, you'll, you won't progress as fast as when you get out. And I go through huge troughs of time where I, I stay in the, my comfort zone too much. I'm lazy. I'm, I'm not... My my brain is is contained in some weird place where I feel like winning more than I feel like learning. And if you feel like winning more than you feel like learning, you'll win more in that time frame. But in the long term, you'll lose because you're not progressing. How often do you get tapped out? I get tapped out, uh, I would say, between one and five times a week. Yeah. Or, or it's between I was, I was between zero and five times a week. Yeah, something like that. Is that generally due to a mistake that you make, or you're encountering somebody who has a skill level that's higher? A combination of combination of. You know, okay. If if the the guys that I train with, if I make yeah. a mistake, I'm gonna pay. And the guys that I train with, if they get a good position, it's gonna be hard to get out of. So, so yeah, I tap between zero to five times. Like every, I think ten minutes. Yeah, <laughs> would be a good start. Yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, we just learned this technique in isolation, and now I can't do it, and now I can't breathe, yeah. and this really light person is exerting five x their body weight on me. I'm out of here. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 a powerful tool. What's the biggest mistake you see people make when they start? They can't relax. Boom. Yeah, that's. They can't relax. It's just like in the wind tunnel. Right. Yeah. If you yeah, don't relax are, in the wind tunnel, you're, or the or, air, or if you do, or in if, general, or near in general, saying. or if you don't. I mean, I guess I don't, I don't know if this applies directly to archery, but if you are all trying to get that thing to fire at that moment when you wanted to, and you don't just relax and kind of let the arrow do the work, or let the bow do the work, and let let it kind of happen yep. to try and force it. I don't know. Is that correct or no? Yeah, because when you're tight, you're static. Remember, I told you that. Your accuracy really depends on dynamic movement rather than static movement. Mm -hmm. When people try to be static, then everything's just locked. So, like, the follow-through isn't proper, and you're literally just trying to build trigger pressure. And when everything goes off, everything's just yeah. static. You said something to me the other day. Your, your worst shots are the hardest ones, right? Well, me, I told you, you everyone's. Say? Everyone's yeah, and I said your your bad shots will be your hardest ones right. to make, and then you're... and you kind of looked at me like I know where you're going with this, <laughs> exactly. and I said the easy ones are going to happen with the least amount of effort. Yeah, and I felt that. 
and you know the times where I just get up and kind of relax and and do what I was supposed to do relax then it'd be a good shot and when I was all trying to make things happen in all tense then it's it doesn't work out that way which is when you were talking when you were describing your situation when you get mad enough and I was thinking to myself how does that help and then you said I got mad enough that I flipped the leaf and that's the key point because if you Anyone that just gets mad about their performance that doesn't help your performance that makes your performance go down unless you get mad enough that you go Okay, I few people have the ability to reach that point and go that way though. (laughs) Well (laughs) Very very competitive especially ego driven Ego driven personality types have a very difficult time task driven can change it but one of the things that I learned which was possibly my most valuable just based off my personality type now um, or I guess how it's always been. But the lesson that I learned that was probably most important to my overall archery career was that the only arrows that I can affect are the ones that are still in my quiver. Because there was a few tournaments where I literally just jack slammed stabilizers over my knees there was one time where uh i was the last (laughs) i hammer tossed this bow at one of my rookie events i grabbed that long 40 inch stabilizer and just freaking wheel there was (laughs) there was a time i was practicing at home at 70 meters and i was about ready to shoot a perfectly clean round in practice. I mean, like a 360 out of 360. And right when I got to that last arrow, I'm like, one more. And this is like, I was already visualizing where that target was going to go on my wall. And I freaking spit one out of the nine. And that was the only hole outside of that freaking 10 ring. And I I hammer tossed that bow (laughs) 70 meters. And I left it down at the bottom of my driveway by by this culvert. And it was like three days later, my neighbor called. He goes, do you know there's there's like a brand new bow down by your mailbox? And I go, yeah, and it's going to stay there. <laughs> and I finally found a coach that when he told me that, he said, listen, no one, no one can change time. And he said, when that arrow leaves, unless you have a string on it, there's no way you're pulling it back. And he said, so if you're going to let that one affect every other one that's in your quiver, he said, you're never going to be good. And, I mean, I went home and stewed on it for a while, and then it just got to the point where when I made a shitty shot, I mean, there was times where I'd just look into my quiver and say, well, which one of you suckers want to freaking shoot a 10? Because obviously that asshole didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And once I started looking at it that way, I actually became a a completely different athlete in my sport. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. That's that's something we see all the time with the ego-driven people and even, you know, because I work with a lot of businesses, and so you see someone that got that attitude and someone makes them mad, and they think that that's going to help the situation, and it's actually not going to help the situation. Counterintuitive. Yeah. Probably as a multiplier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes it worse. Yeah. Have you found a lot of uh, similar personality traits between, like, a lot of the high-level performers and the teams and the business world that you interface with? Because I've seen, like, the mentality he's talking about, right? Like, being able to adapt, being able to change your personal thought process regardless of what's going on or control it. 
Like, okay, I, I recognize that. Jumping kind of the same thing too. You see that a lot in business as well? You do and you don't. One thing that's different about the business world is that some people come up with a really good idea or they formulate a business based on something that they're doing and they build a business around themselves and or they build a business underneath themselves and they naturally they they progress up the chain of command because it's their business and eventually next thing you know they look up they're the CEO of a business and they got 300 or 400 or 500 people working for them but that's because the reason they're there is because they had a good idea and it's just like in the SEAL teams. I mean, you could get officers that are totally squared away, that can detach from situations, that can that can assess what's actually happening, not based on their emotions. But you also get officers and enli- senior enlisted yep. guys that that they lose their temper, they get mad, they get emotional. So it's the same thing. You see the sa- you see the same thing. Yeah, I was surprised. Uh, obviously, less business interface and interaction than you, but it's like all the high level people, you see a lot of the similarities. Like, okay. I recognize this, and then I'm naturally gravitate towards those people because they win. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're you know you're not going to get to the top. Like mm-hmm. we talk about ego being bad, and I always, as much as I talk about ego being bad, I do have to remind people, including myself, that ego is good also. And you wouldn't be where you are, John, if you didn't have an ego that wanted to win. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's your ego that pushed you so hard that you realized that if you let your ego get in the way then it's going to make you fail. So your ego was so strong that it beat your own ego, right? (laughs) Like you had to put it in check. And that's a a good sign. And it's a good thing for a good thing for anyone to know that you progress to where you are because you want to win. But then if you let that ego continue to drive, it'll drive you back down. I was talking with you're familiar with who Mark Twight is, right? Yeah, I had him on the podcast a couple weeks ago. And right before uh, I sat down with him. I was listening to one of his recent ones. And to tie into that, how ego can be positive and negative, People were uh, the person he was talking to was asking him about high-level achievement just in general and what quality do you think is essential. And his response surprised me because he said hubris, which I look at as like, okay, you know, and wildly uh, over, uh, you know, you think a little bit too much of your ability, but at the same time, thinking a little bit too much of your ability might drive you down the path where you'll be successful. Most people look at it as a pejorative, but at the same time, it can be used uh, as a positive as well. I think it can get to you to a certain point, and then if it goes too far... Much like then, the ego. D- yep. then, then you'll end up in... You'll end up dead if you know if you're in a combat situation because you think you don't you can't make any mistakes you don't think you need to train as hard you're gonna end up in a bad situation so it'll get but he's right in the fact that you know I had uh, I've had people on my podcast and you talk to them and and they think that the SEAL teams is like so hard and you think like Travis Mills Travis Mills is a guy he's he's just total badass. And he was, you know, a great athlete in high school, multiple, you know, records, and he's a big strapping guy and just a total, total stud. And, you know, I was talking about when he joined the Army, and, and he says, you know, I, I kind of wanted to go for, you know, special operations or something, but I just didn't think I could make it. And, and he, he's like 10 times the man I was when I got done with high school. <laughs> I was like such a loser. And, and yet I had the ego to think to myself, oh, SEAL Team's hardest training in the world, allegedly. I can do that. Yeah. And, and I did. And so there's, there's a, there's a and, and it's just like, you know, you meet some kid 
and he'll come up and say, you know what, I really want to be a SEAL, but I don't know if I can, I don't know if I have it. Well, what's your background? Well, I, I, I'm a state champion wrestler, and I won, you know, the freaking world record for 14-year-old crawl stroke. You know, they're just total studs, but they, yeah. for some reason, they, they don't think they can do it. So there is something to that. Uh, however, I think you also have to keep that in check. That's why it's a dichotomy. You know, it's a dichotomy. Yep. You have to balance those two. If you let go too far in one direction, it's going to be problematic. If you go too far in the other direction, then you won't achieve anything. Yeah. I was surprised by it because, I, yeah, it. Uh, I looked at myself and I was like, hmm, maybe there's some things that I feel like I should do or I want to push myself to do is that hubris peeking out just a little bit. But I think uh, as I've gotten older and uh, – been steeped in a little bit more risk. It has backed me off the edge a little bit. I think I found a better governor in my 20s in the SEAL teams. I don't know if that governor was in the peg yet. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's we, age. Yeah, you yeah. just get older. It just truly, I was just like, yes, I can do that. Oh, walk on fire. Yes, no problem. I'm stand by. Here Bring we it. go. A mile? Okay, on my belly. Let's let's party. Bring it. Yeah, it, uh, but again, I was surprised I wouldn't have said uh, hubris. The other guy said confidence, which I think is a no-brainer, but and and confidence i mean that's that's a very similar thing right you know the confidence is the well balanced ego that's what confidence is it's a well balanced ego when when you're overconfident well then you have a big ego that's your problem yeah and now you think you you don't need to train for this event you don't need to be ready you don't need that's 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 confidence that's gone too far and humility can go too far as well cuz you know i always say the most important characteristic for a person to have is humility mm-hmm. And, and there's a reason for that because that's where I lean because most people that m- most people have a more of a tendency to think that they're better than they are and so to be you know what I'm not as good as I am and I'm gonna work hard to be better that's that's gonna make that person better in the long run <laughs> you you're not sitting there I forget how many arrows you t- told me you shot in a five, year or whatever oh, five thousand last yeah, month yeah 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 so like y- you're not doing that because you think you've achieved where you need to be you're not doing that because you're doing that because you're humble and you think, you know what, I gotta stay on my game. Well, I had people depending on me doing it. So I knew, yeah. But I think you're right. There's people, and I tell people all the time that ask me, well, why don't you compete? It's like, there's people that are that hungry that are that much better. I mean, when I was, when I couldn't beat myself when I was hungry for that. Right now, I'm not hungry. I would be fool- like right now, that old me would have been at Chula Vista shooting these last four, four days. I would have been shooting every single day. If someone said, hey, do you want to go three miles down the road? We can go skydiving. I would have said no, and I did. Or if someone said, you know, hey, do you want to go to a jujitsu class? I would have said, hell no, I don't want to go to jujitsu. I want to, I'm going to shoot another 200 arrows a day, and then I'm going to look at assessment. I'm going to get better, and, you know, I've got things I want to do right now. They don't, they don't involve that. So, I mean, you have to, yeah, I think you have to look at yourself realistically, but in the same sense, I think if your personality is at least something that really wants to progress at things, you're going to progress naturally because you're competitive. But I like personally being honest to myself because I, at least for me, I feel like I progress at things when I'm honest to myself. Whenever I've been dishonest to myself, it's taken like 
a serious situation to where you're almost at a rock bottom point to where you have to like get a, at some alone time and just realize, okay, <laughs> who are you really fooling right now about this? Because I don't, you know, you can talk shit all you want, but when it, when it comes down to it, once you start to realize this is really what's happening, I mean, then you gotta, then you gotta have a check, you know, and that's, I've seen a lot of people that I've competed against that have been very, very ego driven and they come out of the gates. I mean, they raise hell coming out of the gates and they're very, very hard to beat until there's a crack. And a lot of times when that is their only mentality, when that crack happens, they never find their way back again. Whereas someone that just is okay with honesty and humility and progression and then systematic approach and they're realistic about where they're really at within their craft, they can have that time where they're in a slump and then they'll normally come out of that slump better because they're honest with where they really were when they had the problem. And I think people with a a really high ego, they'll struggle when that slump does hit. It may take a long time for people like, you know, Tiger Woods. It may take a long time for that to hit. But if all of a sudden there's, there is that, sometimes it really gets tough to get out of it for that person. Um, ego, humility, the confidence, the hubris. You, uh, I love how the fact that you speak with such authority about the stuff, because I know that you spend a lot, lot of time thinking about it. Were you always like that in the teams? I mean, were you like that before the teams? Is this something that developed as you grew in the teams, or did you bring this with you? Uh, It developed, yeah. I would love to sit here and tell you that when I was a 19-year-old guy in a SEAL platoon. You had it. I was saying, listen, gents, the most important thing we need to do is stay humble. No. I don't like your ego, gentlemen, (laughs) because all you would hear is... Yeah. So, no, uh, I was really lucky in my career, and I... I was observant, I would say, yeah. and I, I would say one of the luckiest things that happened to me is I got put into a SEAL platoon that had a really bad officer, and we ended up firing him, which was is a mutiny, and doesn't happen very often, but it happened, and then a great officer came in and took that officer's place, and that, to me, just the juxtaposition of these two guys, one who no one liked, no, we wanted to make him look bad, we would screw things up and sabotage things so he would look bad. Yeah. I have no idea what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. <laughs> and then the next guy comes in and w- you know we would do everything we yeah. could just to make him look good. We we just wanted to support him. And so in the back of my mind I was thinking, that's interesting. What well, what did he what did these two guys do different? And the main thing that the two guys did different is one guy had a giant ego and the other guy was super humble. And so I recognized it, mm-hmm. but I didn't recognize it like, like you know, crystal clear. It was just a subconscious thought. And then as I saw other leaders and saw the way people reacted, that the way I reacted to other people, and then the way people reacted to me, like when I moved into a leadership position. Okay, well, how am I going to act? Oh, am I going to act like the guy with the big ego that thinks he knows everything? Or am I going to act like the guy that was actually did know everything but was super humble and we all respected? Like I tried to act... I didn't succeed by any stretch all the time, but that's what I aimed for. And then once I took over 
training and 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 then you know I got lucky very lucky with my deployments overseas mm-hmm. I got you know very lucky with the people that I worked with and I got very lucky with the deployments that I had and so I saw I saw a lot of different leaders I saw you know different Army and Marine Corps leaders so, some of the best guys I've seen and, and some other guys that weren't so great and again I'd see the same pattern sort of like oh this guy actually listens to his men whereas this guy doesn't and the guy that doesn't listen guess what they're they're not as effective and so I, I saw that and then really the final building blocks were when I was running training at, at the, for the West Coast SEAL teams and I got to put SEAL platoon after 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 SEAL platoon. just over through the same iterative training and to see the way the different leaders impacted SEAL platoons it and it just it just was so obvious to see and by now I had some decent experience and I'm sitting there watching over and over again and identifying these things and so that was kind of the the that was where it really started to come together and on top of the fact that I was watching I was also in charge of teaching it so now I had to not just watch it and think about it I had to capture it and explain it yeah <laughs> and so that that was a uh, very th- that's kind of the progression and then when I got out all of a sudden I'm working with companies and I'm now I'm working with all these different companies all these different kind of leaders and I'm seeing the same I get to see the same sort of outside view of all these situations then on top of that throughout this course I'm reading and I'm reading only about war and I still it's like it's like I, I can barely read a book that's not about war I, I, still to this day still to this day I can barely read a book that's not about war and I was gonna do a book on, on the podcast that's not about war it's a great book it's a fantastic book it's a fantastic book about leadership it's called American icon it's about Ford it's about Mulali did a great job it's incredible leadership lessons I was gonna do it on the podcast and as I'm starting to prepare for the podcast I'm pulling out the things that I'm gonna read and I'm like I, I this I can't do it I can't do it because it doesn't really mean anything to me the way reading about a guy that was in the trenches of World War one or a guy that was going on to the beaches in in Iwo Jima like I, I I have a emotional and like like some almost genetic connection to those guys and and I just when I when I think about it it's what I want to talk about so inter interlaced in all that time period I was reading I wasn't reading a ton I don't even remember when I got about face which is which is the book that really started to clarify things for me and, and that's not a book that he doesn't talk about leadership in it barely it is confused for a leadership book often yeah and for me it's a pure leadership book but reading it and and reading it over again and then reading it over again and then seeing exactly what was happening in a seal platoon or in my unit and seeing exactly the way it was happening and thinking to myself this is I've seen this before and so the reading on top of that and now since since I retired and like with my podcast where I'm reading all the time I mean I was an English major in college and I read way more than I even read in college and so I'm reading all the time and I'm reading with a different I'm reading with a different attitude because there's this quote that I've recently said on my podcast which is from a book that I read on my podcast but the quote is it's from Musashi the Japanese sword fighter and he said when you know the way broadly then you see the way in everything 
And so as this thing kind of grew in my mind, the more, I, the, more, the more you see it, the bigger it gets and the more you see it in everything. And so at this point, I, I mean, I see this stuff everywhere. Yeah. I see it everywhere now. Parenting, grocery store, like I know exactly what you're talking Parenting, about. Parenting, grocery store, relationships, jujitsu, archery, um, you know, like, you know, you were talking to me. Well, for, for one thing, like he, you know, I shot 30 arrows or something in the morning, or maybe even not, not even that. But then in the afternoon, he said, hey, you want to shoot some more? And now there's a big crowd. And then he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're doing this live on whatever, some social media platform. Yeah, hold on. Let me get a couple people yeah. here to watch And you. so it's a big crowd. You're, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and he's like, well, we'll see how you do under the pressure. And I'm like, I'm not even here right now. But I did say that sarcastically. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. I, I in no. my mind, I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm glad okay. I had a poker face. Yeah, and I just was like, cool. I'm not even here right now. I'm just gonna do what you told me to do. Yeah. And and that's the best you can do. And for for one thing, I'll say like when you talk about the competitive nature, like I went into that archery situation thinking, okay, I, I am a fool. That's where I'm at right now. If I can do anything like slightly better than just a complete idiot, then that's fine. Because this is something I know nothing about, and that's I just tried to listen to what you were telling me, and man, what a and and I I want you to know like, because I've taught a lot of people over the years, and because I've taught a lot of people uh, from ground zero, the instruction that you gave me like I I didn't really say this, but I was super appreciative of how you were teaching. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you teach all the time. You teach, obviously, you teach all the time. And I'm thinking, man, he's a good teacher. <laughs> I'm like, th- this is just, for, for him to be saying, everything that you're saying to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's saying that. And I know exactly what he means. And he's not telling me eight other things right now because I'm not even ready for those eight other things. And he's just trying to get me this one little thing. And and he's, you know, saying, good job. And, and just just, you're just a really good teacher. And so to get a start like that, you know, and I've 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 heard a couple people talking about how when like you know you first start shooting, it's all crazy. And honestly, I was like, boom, there we go, boom, there we go, and it felt really good because your your instruction was outstanding. So I appreciate it. Thank you. You started off at a good spot. People hit me up about once a week. They're like, you cheater. <laughs> like I'm sorry that I know somebody that you don't, and my only goal in life is to do exactly what they tell me to do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not a it's not rocket surgery here. Not, putting a satellite in a geosynchronous orbit yeah yeah no it's it's and it was very cool for me as you started off this whole conversation by saying that and I told you like I haven't uh, I don't really do new stuff very often and it's not even that I don't want to but well how many hours are in the day and I am pretty obsessed with certain things, you know. I'm, I'm I'm definitely obsessed with doing my work good. I'm obsessed with doing a good podcast. I'm obsessed with jujitsu. I'm I'm obsessed with trying to stay in good health. And so to just like toss some other some other thing to be obsessed in over the years just doesn't work out very well. And so it's it's cool for me to be able to learn something that I'd never done before and get incredible instruction and. Um, I think it'll help you with those things, too, because like you're saying, especially if you live a lot between the ears and a lot of the stuff that you're doing to be able to just detach from that and focus on something else. For sure. I uh, heard somebody describe it once as therapy 20 yards at a time. (laughs) They rip off six arrows and it's like they walk and they go get them, they pull them. and And I've had the same experience in my backyard. Like if I'm having 
Uh, I don't write nearly as much as you do or at the level. I can, it's like, ta-ha, tahit, the, got it. Okay, good, next word. No, actually, you're a great writer. Well, I've read your stuff. You did, I read yep. your stuff on, on my podcast, and you're, you're a great writer from your esteemed educational experience. 2.7 GPA, public school go. system, high school, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> English was my favorite class, but I, and I always liked the creative writing stuff. But uh, when I get stuck and I need... Uh, how would be the best way to describe this? I don't always win the emotional battle sometimes with my spouse. Um, and I might get a little too engaged. And if I need to reset or detach, uh, I'll literally go grab my bow and just go into the backyard. And it's the therapy at 20 yards starts. It's yeah. It helps me with everything else that I do to just have some, like, I'm just going to look at this pin. Yeah. I'm just going to look at the pin. It helps. I, I think it'll actually enhance the stuff that you do. Yeah. Well, it's, again, when you see the way broadly, you see it in everything. And so even in this, I'm thinking that, I, you know, it's teaching me to be better at detaching from situations. It's teaching me to be focused on things. It's teaching me to focus on smaller muscle movements, right? Because yep. it's, it's, it's a lot more... Uh, it's it's smaller muscle movements, right? It's it, you're just you're holding this position, and you're doing these really small muscle movements to achieve the the goal, and it's not throwing up a kettlebell, which is a big muscle movement that doesn't take very many fine motor skills. It's a it's fine motor skills, I guess. That's that's yeah. the big difference for me, and I don't do a lot of stuff anymore that are that is fine motor skills skills other than just regular shooting. So. I think he found the place for it, though. Yeah. With what he like with what he does. Archery, I think, is very, very um, therapeutic in the fact that if you're doing it for the right reasons, it's it'll give you very good clarity on whether or not your mind is able to focus on your task at hand or whether it's somewhere else. So if you go out and you're shooting and you're knowing what you need to do, but it's you're obviously not shooting well with with focus and you know, and very fluid, minimalistic, you know, mind-body connection, then you're going to probably say, you know, what's really holding me back right now? And honestly, like with you, you said that that would be a good break from when you're trying to write, because I'm the same way. Like right now I'm trying to write this article, but my mind is obviously somewhere else. Getting choked. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, and my, le- in my legs, uh, front, <laughs> front flips, uh, positive legs, man. Yeah, front flips at 5,000 feet. Um, yeah, I, th- I think if you're really there to shoot and clear your mind, it's, it's a balance. You know, a lot of those, a lot of the things that came out of Asia, are so relative relative today and people don't even like people need to go back and realize how truly smart those people were and they were doing a lot of these things right they were doing archery was very big then so obviously them having a clear mind and doing things that were you know obviously required just mass and hard work and and then to be able to want to get out of that grind and go back and decompress and have some family time there was obviously some type of a thing in between and you know whether it was meditation or whether it was a lot of their martial arts they were trying to find something that was a complete counterbalance to the things that they were having to do and 
I think we all still need that right now today in this grind. I mean, if, you know, and that's, I think that's why people are gravitating towards this. And I think that's why, I think that's why people are gravitating towards things like CrossFit too, because there's so many jobs right now where I, I'll go in and although the offices look cool, I'd feel like a, I'd feel like a fish in a fish tank. I mean, I would literally say, where do I go to just throw things around and rage out for a little while? Because, you know, I can't, I can't throw something in my office. You know, if I chuck something across my office right now, someone's going to get, you know, Susie's going to get mad about it and go to HR. And I know that's going to happen. So I got to just kind of contain myself and I just sit there and just, so they, these people need this, yeah. you know, and I think people that don't get it, they just get miserable and want to end up trolling someone on social media because <laughs> they just, they have like no release. Yeah. Well, people, people ask me pretty regularly, do I meditate? And I always say I do jujitsu. Yeah. I surf, I throw kettlebells around and now I'll be saying I shoot arrows. And what's nice about shooting arrows is it's like pretty cool. You well, at least from my perspective right now, it's something that I can do for twenty minutes. Yeah. Whereas you know you can't. You, you need someone to do jujitsu with you, and you're going to get all sweaty, and it's you got to take a shower, and it's just like a time situation. But to be able to go out and just crack a few rounds downrange, it's kind of nice. You said it was nice too, just because of the sound, like relating yeah. to military yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. So I was telling him, you know, after I shot, and I realized that when you're shooting a gun and I got over this when I was 19 years old whatever in the SEAL teams you're like okay this thing makes a loud noise all the time and all these guys that are sitting next to me their little thing makes a bunch of noise yep. too and that's just the way it is and so you just get used to it but you don't realize it becomes norm it becomes the norm but then when you're shooting and it's just a little f and you think, man, this is nice. It's like when you when you shoot an MP5 SD, and you go, wow, this is awesome. You know, yeah. this is so cool because it it literally is that it's super quiet. You know, but so it's nice to to have something that's not cracking your brain, yeah. which is something that we've all gotten so used to, we don't think about it anymore. But then when it's gone, you go, wow, this is nice. This is nice little, nice little um, escape. Well, when your standard is a controlled explosion two inches from your face. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> with exactly. A, a fiery gas ball generally coming back at you and your buddies. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, yeah. It's a little bit of an adjustment. It's cool in the wild, too, to see uh, the reaction or lack thereof to the animals as well. You know, yeah. eating and like, hmm, what was that? All right, I'm just going to continue eating, I guess. Did a tree fall? Did a yeah. branch, you know, did a leaf fall over there? I think I'm going to be okay. I tell you what, I uh, I had resisted hunting for years. Uh, even people were offering me when I was in the military and then afterwards, and I always associated it with a rifle, a high-powered, in my brain, it's always a suppressed 300 Win Mag, even though I'm not <laughs> sure that's allowed for deer. If you were to give me a choice of any gun on earth, it's going to be that one. Um, and I just, I, I had no interest in it. I never thought to connect it in any other way so people are like hey man come hunting with me and like i don't have any interest in sitting in a lawn chair even though i know this isn't what it's like I, that's what i thought of like with lawn chair with a set of binos and a deer i hear all these people talking like oh man i got this guy at 250 man that's the longest shot i've ever seen I'm like all right were you like shooting iron sights or <laughs> you know like did you close your eyes offhand <laughs> yeah standing right in the wind 30 knot crosswind full value and then I picked up a bow 
And it was immediately like, whoa, this is a completely different, just slammed in your face. Yeah. I, I just didn't think it would be fair because, I mean, realistically, probably out to a thousand, it, okay, yeah. like I win. But then it's like, okay, hold on. I'm missing at 40 yards. There's something <laughs> here that I need to explore a little bit. Yeah. And then trying to get to 40 yards on some of these animals, are you kidding me? Crazy. It immediately tapped me back into, like, I was like, oh, man, this is as much as I like doing snocking in uh, sniper school. Oh, my God. This is like any type of the, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I was playing freaking G.I. Joe since, I was, sure. since whenever and, you know dirt on your face and crawling around and definitely aiming at people's eyeballs with a BB gun. <laughs> no eye pro. <laughs> it immediately drove me back into that. And I think that's why I went in with Dudley just hook, line and sinker after yeah. the first trip, which is we're going back up to for the first time, I'm repeating a location in a couple weeks, nice. but even like halfway through the first day of the first trip, I was like, Oh God, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, I hope that you have the same experience too. Cause it's, and I've seen it happen with a lot of vets. Uh, Joe was actually talking about Almost this. Ev- like I would say every, yeah, everyone I've dealt with. Yeah, but, mm, no, I can't say that. But Joe was talking about. It. I forget who he was talking with, but he, from an outsider's perspective, he, I would say, what he was trying to say is that he was surprised by the draw that it has to the veteran community, specifically people with backgrounds similar to ours, regardless of the service. But then I started thinking, like, like I already said, like, hmm, sneaking around. Mm-hmm trying to get close, trying for you not to see me while I do something you might not like. Mm-hmm. Like it, it makes total sense. Yeah. And it, for me, it helped because it was like additional motivation to train. Like elk season's right around the corner. You know what? I don't feel like getting in the gym, but I need to get in the gym. I don't really feel like shooting my bow right now, but I need to shoot my bow. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to being there for your first experience yeah. in the field because it, it adds to that 20-yard therapy at a time. It, I literally uh, – felt kind of rejuvenated and just was like, okay, cool. It's like 80% of what we used to do. Yeah. Well, th- that's one thing that I like is having the uh, this goal at the end. And, and what I'm thinking about right now is I'm thinking, hey, I've got to be good at this because I'm going to be I'm going to be in a pressure situation. And if everything I have to think about is going to cause me problems if I'm not if I'm not proficient. And so having that as a long-term goal and knowing that there's going to be a time when I'm going to need to do this right then I think that's great to have that in your just just like when you if you're running you say you sign up for a race in the future that means you go okay I'm, I'm gonna prepare for that in jujitsu jujitsu kind of happens every day because every day you're thinking you know you got you got the wolves right I mean there's wolves and they're on the mat <laughs> and, and they're circling and, you and they're circling you and they're yeah. you know so every day you kind of get that but sometimes you can you can shelter yourself a little bit Whereas if you, okay, I'm going to compete on this, you know, if you compete in jujitsu, then you step it up because you know that that's, you know, you've got to, you're going to have to bring it that day. So there's a, having an ultimate goal like that, that is a kind of a high pressure situation with some stakes around it, then, and some consequences around it. I think that that makes people prepare more. Do you compete or did you compete in those tournaments? I I competed all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still, or did you? No, I haven't competed in a pretty long time. How do you pick your training partners? I just pick the best possible guys I can find. Yeah, uh, I liked. Uh, I was telling Delta today. My when he asked you to, or he asked Trevor actually to take some pictures of you teaching him some stuff, and I can see you thinking like, "All right, what are we going to do here?" And then you finally said, "Just attack me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like literally, just do whatever you want to do. Just attack yeah, me. Just try and kill me. <laughs> 
That's just kind of drove that question. I'm like, well, I don't know if that would always be the best approach to training with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good way because it kind of lets the person because you know. You know Am I going to say try this when you don't really know yeah. that much? It's like just trying, just trying to attack. What's the longest time you've taken off from jujitsu? Yep, I had neck surgery, and I probably didn't train for I don't know. It was pretty long. It might have been two months. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the longest I've taken off. I don't know it, if many people would say that's very long, but. Yeah, and I'd, I'd have to check the records on that one because yeah. that, that surgery hurt me a lot. And I was, you know, hey, going into it like whatever, you know, hey, doc, what, how long is it going to take? Oh, you're saying three months? Cool. I'll be, I'll be ready in three weeks. <laughs> and, and then I also, you know, said, oh, you gave me some pain pills? That's fine. I don't need them. I'm not going to need them. And I got home that night. And once the, the whatever they give you in the hospital, the real wears off. Yeah, once yeah. that wore off, I was saying to myself, Oh damn! <laughs> yeah, this hurts a lot. And what you don't realize is that your head weighs whatever your head weighs. Yeah, mine, mine's filled with rocks, <laughs> and so it probably weighs something. No one and, knows and what when that they weighs. Cu- when they cut open the back of your neck, there's all these muscles there. Yeah, and all those muscles are working 24 hours a day. They're working. There's no position that I found. When I after I got neck surgery, there was no position that I found that my neck muscles were not working, other than I was laying on my son's bed, which was low to the ground. And I stacked books on the end of it until it was the perfect height, and I could get there and I could lay there, and it wouldn't be. And and that's where I was sleeping. And so yeah, it was it was it hurt. So that was probably I forget what the time frame was, but it was like two or three months where I wasn't able to train. How long ago was that? I want to say 2008. Maybe. Oh, so you were, you were still in then, right? Or did you? Yeah, you got no, out? I was in. Okay, I was in. I got I got out in 2000. Retired in 2010. Okay, yeah. So you were three years before me. This is my favorite picture. Look how excited Andy is right there. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Do you see Get how that ex- in there. Do you see how excited he is for yeah. you to for you to wreck my freaking. And you're just like your face. You just white knuckling my head well, and that- squeezing as hard. It looked like you're doing a 500 pound deadlift. That's funny. <laughs> well, I was. It was your head. It's like slinging that freaking Bigfoot on it kettlebell around. <laughs> but that goes back to like I was asking the biggest mistake, right? Like that strategy. I'm gonna exert 100% of yeah. contractile yeah. potential until I'm exhausted. And and that's why when you asked me what's the most important thing for a person that's just starting jiu-jitsu, I said relax. Yeah. Because when you're not relaxed, you can't even see. You don't even know what's happening. And and it's hard. You, you, you I'm not saying you got to go out there and be a wet noodle. And you have to use your strength at some point. But the less you use it, the quicker you're going to learn, the better you're going to get. Yeah. Would you say that it's a fair comment that you changed training for the West Coast SEAL teams when you took over at Trade It? I don't know. I, I'd say that the the training mechanisms that I grew up in and that we grew up in yep. was rooted in the history of the SEAL teams. And you know, having some of the old guys like Roger Hayden when he came on my podcast and he came on twice and he's talking about the point man course that he developed with Glenn Acker in 1971 when they came home from v- their third tour in Vietnam. And I'm saying to him, we still run that course. We still do that. So we, we, we were taught, I was taught that you train hard 
and then that's what we did and that's when I took over training I tried to carry on that that tradition of the SEAL teams which is you train your ass off to be ready for war it felt different um, I missed a lot of it uh, departing and heading to the East Coast because obviously the training cycle is different I experienced trade it peripherally a little bit it wasn't what it was like when I went through I think we called it SQT mm-hmm. yeah because I mean it was all the teams all together doing everything and when I went through it used to be called STT and it was at the team no that's what it was it was the, STT not yeah, SQT so I went through STT at SEAL Team 1 and it was hardcore yeah and and your trident board a couple day long yeah that was hardcore too office to office here's yep. weapons laid out on the table and they go deadly disassemble the 60 and tell me about every single piece every <laughs> name what it does and god help if you point pick it up and don't clear and save it first and point it in a safe direction you fail instantaneously yep. then it's the ar the m4 then it's the pistol then you got to go plan a diving from soup to nuts, the tides, the dive, yeah. the time, the navigation. Yeah, it was a it was a different world. And the training that I got at Team Five prior to going out to the East Coast, it was different. It had a different flavor to it. And I don't know if it was because we had been at peace for too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when I came back and was augmenting the Team Three stuff, it had a I would say a more realistic, more aggressive, more pin in the modern day. Yeah, well, I mean, I had literally just came home from Ramadi, so. Well, that's what I'm saying. I feel yeah. like I feel like you were at the helm of making a lot of the changes. Yeah, I I definitely wanted to make sure that guys were ready and and coming home. You know, when we got home from Ramadi, it took another four, five, six months before it before it got pacified, and we kind of saw the indications when I was on deployment, but. As far as I was concerned, everyone was going back into Ramadi. In my mind, everyone's going back into Ramadi, or they're going back into Afghanistan. Mm. And I didn't fight in Afghanistan, but I knew what was happening there, and I had plenty of friends that fought there, and so who had debriefed me. And so I just wanted to make sure guys were ready because there's there's no there's no worse feeling in the world than thinking that you're not ready when you're when you're in a combat situation. It's the worst, most awful, sickening feeling. And even when I would see someone, I, I tell this story a lot, and it's not wrong, but I would see a kid, like I'd see a new guy standing in the middle of the street in the mountain town. And, and, and it, I, I would feel, it, it lasted for probably about, six months or a year when I'd see a kid like that I would feel a sickness in my stomach I would feel sick because I was waiting for them to get shot and I, you know I'd go over and I'd be like hey man you got to get cover you can't stand out in the middle of the street like this you cannot do that you will get killed if you stand out here and and it was really really uh, a powerful feeling and you know and then where I focused most of the most of my effort was on the leadership because I realized that if the leadership wasn't able to make good decisions, good timely decisions, good tactical decisions, man, everybody in that platoon didn't matter who, how good they were individually. If they were getting bad leadership, it was going to be a real problem. Did you get any flack or resistance to the changes that you wanted to make? No, not really. Where you just crushed them and <laughs> went through them? Is yeah. it because of what you and I talked about? Uh, what did you and I talk about? Remember when we talked about uh, just picking your battles? Yeah, uh, yeah. So we talked. Yeah. So now I know what you're talking about. Sometimes if someone says, "Hey, we still want you to do," you know, this random thing, and I'd be like, "Oh, is that important to you, sir?" 
Yeah, that'd be really good. Okay, we got it. Now, and, and I would do things that, you know, I'm going to play the game, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you're my boss, Andy, and you're telling me, hey, I want you to do this, and I'm like, it, is, it, it doesn't negatively, it, maybe it's not the smartest thing, maybe yeah. it's not the way I would do it, but you know what? He's my boss. I'm going to, I'm going to, we'll, we'll take care of it. Oh, you want us to wear, you know, wear uh, matching hats for trade at when we're out on the range. Uh, you know what? We can do that. You know, you want us to wear, you know, uh, matching shirts so that everyone can clearly identify the RSOs when we're Okay, you know what? We'll do that. Absolutely, sir. That's a good call. You want me to cut out sniper overwatches during mount because you don't think it's going to be an, a mission that guys will be doing. Mm, no, we're, we're probably, sir, let me, let me tell you, here's what's going on. Here's different cities that still have problems. Here's, so when, oh, okay, Jocko, I didn't realize that. Okay, yeah. Why don't you keep doing what you're doing? So I would build up the leadership capital, up the chain of yep. leadership capital, up the chain of command, and you know, it, and and nothing. Well, as far as I was concerned, and as far as the people that I worked for were concerned, they were looking at the training, going, "Yeah." I mean, I I, I remember standing with one SEAL Team CO, and we're looking out at this like, like valley, and there's just lasers everywhere and explosions are going off and down men are being carried Dudley's getting excited yeah and and you know I said hey I'm like this is as good as it's gonna ever get like this training is awesome it was awesome and it, it was because I had great guys at the training detachment that ran all this training and set it all up you know I had guys that I'd get out to a target site and there'd be a guy that had been out on the target site by you know with a three-man or four-man team putting explosives in for four days digging in pits and putting explosions so it was going to be awesome and believe me when you've got you know when you're a young platoon commander and you're in a building and all of a sudden there's 28 like one pound c4 explosions going off you know uh, at random moments for the next like three minutes it rattles your cage boy (laughs) 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 and 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 that's what i wanted you know that's what i wanted i wanted the guys to be under a massive amount of stress because what you can't do in training is you can't kill anyone you can't wound anyone and you can't bring out that emotional piece that's that they're going to have to deal with as well i was wounded in training in jocko Gave the individual that wounded me a Navy achievement medal. <laughs> um, we were in that mount town with Team Three using uh, wax bullets that sting like a bitch <laughs> through clothing. And I forget what we, I was inside. I remember that. And this guy literally comes running in and jack kicks the door <laughs> foot first and just goes. <laughs> He was like in the street, and he disappears. And little, I don't know what he was doing, other than beating Usain, Usain Bolt at a forty-yard dash. Comes in, spraying from the hip. I take one of those paint rounds directly <laughs> in my lip, which immediately swells to the size of this microphone. And I'm pretty sure I heard that laugh in the background. Just ha ha ha. And in the debrief, he literally asks, "Who was it? Who did that?" He's like, "I'm putting you in for a Navy." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you should have heard the write-up. You people know, people get wounded in your training. <laughs> yeah, I'm literally sitting there in the debrief with just a pack of ice on my face, like God damn it. <laughs> yeah, but what was the, one of the most rewarding things in my whole career was having guys that then deployed overseas, yeah. and they would come back. Either they'd send me an email and say, "Hey, we got in a giant, you know, tick yesterday," and it was literally it tw- twenty times easier. Than 
what you put us through thank you and I've had multiple guys come back and say hey we we were in really bad situations and everything you taught us was spot on everything your cadre did was spot on you know it's it definitely wasn't just about me running that training it was the great guys that I had in there that were running it all the senior enlisted guys yeah. that had just come back from overseas and they did a fantastic job and and but the and and also I'll tell you what was awesome was after the, the guys that I trained or the guys that we trained at trade at over like the next what was it like two years or th- it was actually three years they had a massive kill count and and no guys no no seals killed and that was freaking awesome it was interesting seeing the training because uh, like I said it's uh, it is a little bit of a time warps last detachment going to the East Coast and coming back and observing a lot of the training and then participating in it and seeing the complexity of some of the problems that were thrown at literally sometimes people with almost I mean guys in their first platoon when that team three to uh, troop that I was with I mean I think of the 44 that we took where it was in the 40s it might not have been exactly 44 but that went over to Afghanistan I was the only person who had ever set foot in that country I was you know there was a couple people who were on their second or third yeah. and obviously the leadership was a little bit farther down the road but I mean I remember the first time around cracked off for some people I mean that was the first time they had ever heard when there wasn't a you know a blank or a simunition round going by their head and they performed really well it uh, it's a testament, I think, to the complexity because some. I mean, <laughs> it was interesting sitting back and you know the cadre leaves and the real debrief happens. <laughs> these goddamn guys, you can't. These are no-win situations, and you know maybe sometimes you need to work yourself okay. through a no-win situation. But they, it's still imprinted lessons that help them later on down the road. You know, with the no-win situations. <laughs> What's funny is so John I'll tell you you know bring you in it's a little bit so we'd set up these scenarios and they'd be super hard and you got late we had this multi-million dollar laser tag system which was badass and you could shoot people at like 350 400 yards kind of but 350 yeah. you're, you're you're gonna you're gonna get a kill um, and then we had paintball and we had all this special effects and we do it was crazy and so we put them, and if you looked at the schedule, so my I would see the I would have the schedule written out of like what's going to happen. We had little names for these things. We had little names for these events that were going to happen. You know, corner of death <laughs> and, and the octopus, and so we would know what was coming. But like when we were doing CQC, it'd be like. Um, fire sack, which means we're going to surround you. We're going to kill half of you guys. Then we'd have we'd have a, a barricaded shooter, and he's going to kill half of the you guys. And in between these, it'd be like dry hole. Or it'd be, and so the guys would go out. They'd get their asses kicked. They'd come back. We'd debrief them. We'd spin them up really quick. We'd send them back out in the city. There would be nothing happening. Everything would be smooth. They'd come back. We'd hit them with another um, target. They'd go out, hit that one. Everything would be a disaster. And they'd come back. They actually wouldn't even remember doing the dry hole runs or the runs where they didn't get any contact. And I, I'd say, hey, do you? Here's here's what you guys just did. You did a, you did two ops. Out of the out of the six ops you did tonight, two of them you took no enemy contact. Do you remember now? And I'd say it's this building and this building. They'd be like, "Oh yeah." And I'd say, "What did you learn from that?" They didn't learn anything, and so that's why we put this pressure on them. And the other reason we put pressure on them is because, man, I wanted I wanted training to be harder than anything they would ever face on the battlefield. That was absolutely one hundred percent my goal. So. And there's two avenues. There's one for, I'd say, the shooter level called the E5 Sled Dog. And then there's the 
that's a certain kind of stress, but at that level in your career, you're just like, for the love of God, don't let me mess up my job. Please, in the debrief, don't point at me and say my name. All you want to do is just survive and do your job. And it's tough, but it's also, I would say, E5 shooter, best job on the face of the planet. Then there's the leadership. And you're in the same situation, but the difference in uh, stress and the complexity and stress are totally yeah. divergent. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, one has a gun, the other one doesn't. But yeah. that I think what I saw, like I said, looking at it from an outside perspective and coming into it with an you know probably a little bit slightly above average level of experience was I, I was able to sit back and watch the leadership and just go, oh, we should probably start taking notes on this person right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you and I had that realization <laughs> at the yeah. same time. Yeah, there's some guys that there's some guys that wouldn't wouldn't be able to do the job as a as a leader and a vast majority of the time their problem was their ego their problem was too much hubris their problem was that they thought they knew everything yeah. and I I didn't I don't find that offensive I, I really don't find it offensive I want guys to be confident I want them to think that they can kick ass but when they don't kick ass and their reaction is that it wasn't my fault. It was someone else's fault. It was that the training is too hard. It's like you know, people would say that you run this training; it's too hard. I'm like, you're the you're the seventeenth platoon I've put through this year. Everyone's done it. We changed nothing. It's not the training. What do you think it is? I got a bunch of new guys. Guess what? You have four <laughs> new guys. The average single platoon right now has six new guys. What do you think it is? Well, we're not getting good enough food. We're not getting good enough food. We're not well. We're not letting us sleep enough, yeah, Jocko. You, you need to. You need. We, we didn't get the. We didn't. We didn't understand the brief. Okay, who put the brief together? Yeah, you did. You know. So, but when people couldn't couldn't identify that they were the problem, and they then they wouldn't fix it, and that's not good. I think Dudley might actually enlist after this podcast. <laughs> 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 he says often he's like God. Damn it! You guys sound like you had the best job. In the it, it, it was. It, it's the best job in the world. I, I, I say that all the time, and yeah. it was just. It was awesome, and it was awesome for me to have the opportunity to pass those lessons on that, that my guys, you know, learned, and that I learned, you know, in that last deployment, and I wanted to make sure that everyone knew that shit, you know, yeah. and did my best. There's so much common theme. Oh, yeah. Like this whole podcast. The whole last three days, there's a lot of crossover. There, well, even today, I mean, this is obviously life or death and was super critical to the country. But for the average guy at home that's just trying to change his life or be better, you go back to the first five minutes of this podcast, and it's the exact same message of – Literally, if you want to get good at something, you have to be willing to make it really hard and you have to be willing to fail at it and you have to be willing to like jump into a, f a fire pit and not be comfortable and jump into boiling water or, you know, it could be as like some people just won't even take a cold shower, even though it's, you know, it's, it's really good for the body. It's like people just get in that half a second. They're like, well, I can't get used to this. That could be a common theme in your life. I mean, honestly, that is probably a common theme in your life. How how long are you willing to really accept change to the point where, like, you know what this this is seriously not working? Or actually, 
I'm totally cool with this. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, if this is as bad as it get, it really isn't that bad. Like I kind of psych myself out. Yeah. I'm pretty cool with this. And then all of a sudden, if you're the right, I shouldn't say the right person, but I guess me personally, I would say, will it go a little bit colder? Cause like I'm, I've got to this point I'm, I'm okay with it. Like, can we, can we turn it just a little bit? And there's certain things that I would, that I want to do that in. There's certain things where I'm, you know, I feel satisfaction at a certain level, but I think there's other parts of life where, you know, if you're really striving to get to a higher level of management, or if you're really trying to get to a better I guess a better level at archery, like excuses are a very common ground for the people that never make a progression that has to happen for anyone that excels in any type of activity. And if you make excuses in that middle ground, you'll never make it above that. Yeah. All your excuses are lies. (laughs) (laughs) What was the hardest position you held? In the military, most challenging or most difficult? Uh, tasking a commander, yeah. I mean, being in Ramadi, that's definitely, definitely. Yeah. What uh, What do you miss the most about your time in service? Uh, working with the guys, you know, working with awesome guys and guys that want to get after it all the time. Did you ever think that, so you had a 2010, eight years later you'd have the influence now that you do outside of the military? Because I would honestly say it's exponentially larger, obviously, than the cohort because the SEAL teams are so small and just the reach of things like what we're doing right now. Yeah, no, it's 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 been a it's a, it's a, it's a, been a real honor to end up in a situation where I still have you know connections in the military and get to talk to a bunch of people all the time, and yep. whether it's virtually and and or uh, actually, so it's been awesome. I mean, definitely. I I hear from active duty people in every branch of service on the front lines all the time and it's awesome and I'm I'm always stoked that they're tuning in and you know like my podcast I, I would have given anything to have had my podcast when I was 17 18 19 all the way through my retirement yeah. I would have given anything to have that because it's so it's just lacking we just don't have that and there's a a certain level of you reading a book is good right reading a book is great actually but reading a book and reflecting on it and having it reflected on by someone that is going to compare it to the things that you're going through is is important I think so it's really humbling to be able to do it and I'm 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 lucky because you know I just I got lucky and started doing it and some people are listening to it and it's awesome well there's a reason I asked you about when you kind of developed the authority that you speak with a lot of these topics because I look back um, what, how many years did you do enlisted eight and then, 12. so 12 as an officer, yep. so I did 12 and 5. Mm-hmm. The other way, I mm-hmm. enlisted 12. Um, I received zero additional training. I went to the exchange 
to thankfully the women that work there and I said, I need to know what uniform I'm supposed to put on and then also if you have a few minutes, could you show me how to put it on? Yep. <laughs> it was <laughs> the lack of the, the lack of the lack of leadership training in the SEAL teams was was really bad and that's one of the reasons why I pushed it so hard. And what 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 I actually told the Commodore when I was starting to implement all this training, which which I really just layered on top of what we were already doing. I just layered on these leadership levels. I said, we are the only military organization in the history of the world that doesn't have training for our leaders. We're the only one. Well, we do. It's just OJT, it's which OJT. is a mess. It's, a, it's OJT, which is great when you have a great leader that you're working for and they show you what to do and how to do it. Or you end up with a bad leader and yep. they show you what to do and how to do it and you think that's the right thing. So we, 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 we really didn't have a good job. And we ended up... Luckily, our people are good, or I should say, luckily, the high end of the bell curve of our people mm. are awesome, and they would achieve the mission despite the bad leadership that they may or may not have had. And so we were able to achieve a lot and, and maintain our reputation, and it's not even about our reputation, that's part of it, but it's we, we were able to maintain our skill level and our, our operational capability just based on the fact that we got kick-ass E5s in a platoon. That are like, hey, I will get, I will make this happen. Like my boss is making a bad decision, but you know what? I'm gonna move over here. I'm gonna lay down. We're gonna make this happen. And so we were able to go and maintain our operational capability just because of our screening process, our OJT that we did have, and the just the pipe hitting guys that we have in a freaking seal platoon. And so that's good, right? But that's not what you want. That's not yeah. a, that's not optimum. It's not ideal. And so, and it's hard to repeat depending on who those people are saddled with. A, exactly. So, it was definitely important to for us to start focus on training the leaders, and they they're doing a ton of it now. I was going to ask how far down the process. I mean, is is there doctrine written? Is there yes. an established protocol? I I was you know I was writing the doctrine, and it became doctrine when I was in, and, yep. it, and it wasn't just from me either. It was a combination of of uh, a vast bunch of guys that all got together and said, yeah, but it's you know it's the principles that I still talk about today. Those are in there along with other people that had experience and and put stuff together. So yeah, it became doctrine, and yeah, good. It changed. It was. Uh, I think it was a incredibly impactful and worthwhile change because it was you ask or people ask me and I'm sure they ask you too. How oh, how do you guys how do you guys train your leaders? It's like, well, how honest do I want to be right now? And I am honest. It's I, and I kind of say the same thing. The OJT, which saddles you good or bad, whatever direction it may go, and yeah. like, should we do that with our organization? It's like, ooh. Now here's something interesting. So when I got in the Navy. And I went through boot camp, and then, so I show up at Bud's, and I find out that the officer of, in charge of my class is going to be a Naval Academy guy, right? And I'm thinking to myself, wow, this, these guys, and there's actually a few of them, and then I started meeting Naval Academy guys, and I thought to myself, okay, these guys are going to be freaking awesome because they just went to a four-year academy to learn how to lead men. <laughs> <laughs> and what I found out eventually is that in guys from the Naval Academy, they can be awesome, they yeah. can be horrible. Guys from OCS, they can be awesome, they can be horrible. Guys from ROTC, they can be awesome, they can be horrible. Prior enlisted officers, they can be awesome, they can be horrible. And so, that, so even when you train leaders, 
like you've got to have this raw material that has an open mind that's going to listen that's going to be humble and it's going to have that attitude otherwise it's going to be problematic is there one personality trait that would correlate everyone that was good for me it's humility i'll tell you this so we we ended up ranking uh, or i gave i i created this thing at trade at which was I'm I'm always surprised that I did this crap, but I created this thing at Trade Out where you, (laughs) where you, where you, you uh, assessed yourself. Peer assessment. No, this wasn't peer assessment. This was a self assessment. Okay, so we'd hand it out to the leaders, and then we'd see, you know, we we track. Okay, how are your tactical skills? How is your interoperability with your troops? How well do you uh, detach and see what's going on? So we we just had them fill this thing out, right? And and I kind of had people fill it out. I, I, to be honest with you, I kind of forgot about it. Like I, I told my guys, hey, have them fill this out in the first block of training. So the guys did it and they collected because they're awesome guys. And then we got to this point where I we were going to fire somebody. It was actually somebody from the troop that you had been working with. And I said to myself, you know what? I wonder how that guy rated himself. You oh, know? I already know. If we're talking about the same, yeah, guy, yeah, we I know are. The answers. Are. So yeah. I'm thinking, how wonder how this guy rated this guy's horrible, an officer leader. I mean, an awful leader. And I wonder how he rated himself. So we'd go and pull his file. Ten, ten, ten. We, it was, ten, it was ten. one through five. It he was, was an academy guy as well. It right? was all fives. Yep. It yep. was all fives down the line that he could not get any better at any leadership, tactical, strategic, operational skill set that existed. He couldn't get any better. He should be a four star immediately. <laughs> so, so, and then I said to myself, wow, that's crazy. So then I said, and there was another guy in a different task unit that was awesome, an awesome guy. And I go, hey, pull this guy's record. And so I get his record, I open it up, and his like trait average was a 2.4. <laughs> and I, I went and talked to him. And I go, bro, I, I go, hey, man, you're like really good at this job. And I just want to talk about your self-assessment because it seems like you, you've got your, some dings on yourself. W- what's going on with you know tactical decision-making? W- why'd you give yourself a 2.0 out of that in that out of five? He's like, you know, I just feel like I could be sharpen up my skills a little bit. And I always feel like I'm hesitating when I should be a little bit more decisive. Okay, what about this one here where you talk about ha- how well your troops respond to your commands? Like I watch you do it. And, and they do a great job of making happen the decisions that you make. And he's like, yeah, I know, but I feel like I, I feel like I don't communicate clearly enough and I wanna, so here's a guy that's the, the best out of however many officers were at SEAL Team 3 at the time that were platoon commanders or tasking commanders, I'm saying this guy's awesome. And he was completely hard on himself on everything. And, and, and it dawned on me that at that point, oh, okay, the guy that sucks is arrogant and has a big ego. And the guys that are awesome and then I went and looked through them all and of course mm-hmm. the better the guy the worse the scores Generally the better the guy the worse the scores and the worse the guy the better the scores Crazy What about from the uh, I mean you were competing at a ridiculously high level in archery if not the apex of it What did you see for character trait that got people on the podiums the most often? I would say in that world the highest egos get people on the podium the most. Interesting. But they, and they'll have a run. But I think the people that have longevity within within the strike, like there'll be people that are there for a very long period of time within a within a very small group of super elites. They're the ones that are very task and humble and just grind 
can grind, ride. The, they can grind. ride the waves up and down. Yeah, it's difficult because the line would be consistent. It would be like you know, say at a scale from one to ten, they would be at an eight and a half or nine for probably most of the length of their entire career. Whereas you would see more like a stock market type curve for the other people where it would spike and be up for a very long, you know, it'd be like a company that was just dominant for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden it crashes and everyone's just in this pandemonium and it, and it might be that way for a long time. And then it has this little spike somewhere down the road, but then it goes back down. Well, that's very uh, kind of classic, right? I, I, I have a big ego. I have the confidence. I get to the top. I'm on the top. And what do I do? I believe my own bullshit. And I start thinking, oh, you know, Dudley will never beat me. He'll never beat me. So guess what? Instead of shooting 200 arrows today, I'm going to shoot 100. And meanwhile, Dudley's over there going, I'm going to shoot 900, right? <laughs> that's what. That's that's how, because you're humble and you're saying, okay, I, how am I going to get better? How am I going to make this happen? It, it, again, that being said, if you're, uh, if you're shooting a final round for something and you're thinking, I don't know if I deserve to be here, that's not going to help you out either. You got to be thinking, like if you're in a SEAL platoon and you're thinking, hey, look, I don't know if I should be in charge or not, that's not good either. So I'm not talking about you don't have any ego whatsoever. When you see a guy that lacks confidence in a leadership position in a SEAL platoon, it's awful. It's awful and he's not going to be successful. Most of the time, this is this is why I talk about humility so much, because most of the time, the guy has confidence. And and so that's not a problem. The 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 where when it becomes a problem is when their ego is too big. If they if the seldom did I get a guy that was just too humble and didn't believe in themselves or didn't have the confidence that that would seldom happen. But it did happen. It did happen occasionally. Well, humble people, if they're good, most likely have confidence. It's whether or not they want to share that. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a big part of it. You know, my bo- my boy asked me, he said, well, he said, well, when you were really into it, how much did you win? And I said, well, I barely won. You know, 160 professional events, you know, 100, you know, 20 something, 20 something travels a year, million miles traveling around. I said, you know, I only podium, you know, 13 times. 13 out of 160, you know, was, was I, was I always within the top five, 60% of the time? Was I always in the top 10, a hundred percent of the time? So, but I was totally okay with that because I also picked and chose my battles that best suited my traits. When I went to a range that required more effort, very steep terrain, things were, people that I knew weren't in shape for that terrain, I would literally say, this is my, I know I'm going to win this event. I'm, this is my key. Am I going to try to go to this event where I know there's a lot of wind and this guy's got a 26 inch draw length. He's got a way shorter projectile. Like this suits his style perfectly. Am I going to put a lot of effort in that? No, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay in practice and I'm going to stay sharp. But when I get through that, I'm not going to let that outcome impact my self image. But then I know I'm getting ready to mash the hammer on these people where it's like, when it gets into my wheelhouse, here I come. And then maybe immediately following that, I know deep down, this isn't my wheelhouse, but I'm, I'm still going to pick and choose what I want to work on. And that's, that's when I would do what I had told you, like with my selective cycling, 
if I knew I had an event coming up where it really was an event that suited me, I would just pick what's the weakest part of my game right now, and I'm going to go to this event, and I'm going to just try to, I'm going to try to make this better. Mm-hmm. And if I leave here without a win, I'm if I can do if I can make every shot and not make this mistake, this is setting me up for something that's down the road that I know I want. And a lot of people can't. A lot of people can't can't like well that's what you just said is exactly what I was talking about earlier if you stay in your comfort zone in jiu-jitsu and you just do what's gonna make you win and you don't leave in you don't you don't take any risks and focus on some things that you're not good at then it, you might win right then but in the long term you're gonna get worse because you're not you're not exposing your weaknesses so you can learn how to deal with them speaking of jiu-jitsu somebody at this table ordered a bunch of mats and it's not you or me or Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to have to guess who it is. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. He, he's like, oh, is this the right kind of mats I, I, I might be able to get from my house? And I was like, no, get these kind. And then three minutes later, done. Yeah. <laughs> Ding. Amazon Prime shows up on Thursday. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah. He's going to, I think he's just pissed at me that I'm like six classes ahead oh, of him. Oh, I'm really pissed yeah. at you. Yeah. Did I explain this? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm, uh, where were we? We were in Utah two weeks ago, and Andy's all Trigger exci- H- yeah, HQ. Yeah, I'm I'm holding an event for like a, a cooking class and a, and a shooting school. Meanwhile, one of me and Andy's mutual sponsors, Killcliffe, is there, and GW and, and John are there, and... GW is really, really into jujitsu. So I'm over here with my group talking and I hear Andy up like in the back of my head, I hear, yeah, I'm taking jujitsu. It's my fifth class. And I literally like, like the DJ just took the freaking vinyl needle across the record. And I'm like, you bitch. <laughs> like, yeah. And I said, what? And he goes, I bought a 10 pack. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah. And you're going to tell me when we're at hunting camp, when yeah. I like decide to start like jacking around one yeah. night after we're drinking and all of a sudden he's going to slip some kind of weird. Next thing you know, <laughs> little, there little sucker. Yeah, Jocko's coming for 10 lessons to my house next week on my new mats. Check. Let's do it. After your, after your throat recovers. Dude, I'm Adam, good with that. Your Adam's apple? I drink out of the left side. <laughs> Just tilting my head. I'm fine. That was awesome. Uh, last Did he night. tell you about my... Uh, my leg sweep I did today. Oh, yeah, God. he told me judo tripped him out coming out of the aircraft. <laughs> yeah, he trapped my foot. I'm literally, as we're leaving, you know, there's a systematic you up, down, and then you push out, and he goes up and comes down. And in my head, I just hear myself go, "Oh no!" Freaking <laughs> leg sweep, and, I had and I'm out by myself. No choice but to just, as we left the plane, throw him away from me so I didn't rip all of us over onto our back. Were you supposed to be hanging on to him the oh, whole time? Oh yes. Oh, nicely done. It was a double end. Like I said. Yeah. That was my best jump of the day. Yeah. The, he had his main what number jump was that? Three. Yeah. That was your yeah. the third. That was your I third felt, jump. I felt really good on that one. You yep. know, I felt I felt fine with that. He's doing incredibly well. Just I, he's literally sweep the leg, Johnny. 
critiquing himself really and shaking to his go head. Up at the end of the, I hated, I hated leaving there yeah, on, a bad, on that bad note. Good. I, that is, you got to put a couple I more arrows in there. Like I'm good if if we are if we do this until twelve more hours, then we can be at the DZ. <laughs> Because so, otherwise, if we go home, I'm going to sleep about an hour, and then I'm going to wake up thinking about that. So what's funny is I had to repeat the same jump that he was on in my progression, and it happened at the end of a day, mm. and it chewed me up. I think I was an E4 at the time. Oh, so you have to repeat that jump, don't oh, yes. you? Mm. Oh, yeah, you failed. So oh, oh, you <laughs> Grab your knife and twist that it. sucks. <laughs> But I remember grab your little switchblade comb and twi- <laughs> and just twist it a little bit. Look Sorry, at man. in 1999, I was saving up. Yeah, <laughs> I was saving up to pay for AFF because I was like an E4 living out in Coronado, like, <laughs> and I only had enough money to make it through. And then I failed that jump, and I had to oh. call a guy from my platoon and borrow like 200 bucks, which was a catastrophically large sum yeah. of money at the time. Yeah. That's like three hours at the bar <laughs> yeah yeah and uh i was so pissed that night it ate me up and then i went back and i was like this isn't happening again but i actually think it's a good thing that it happened yeah. it, the people who sail through they they'll have a an experience early on in their career that scares the crap out of them which they also need that too to mm-hmm. ground them a little bit but I, I think it's better to happen at this point in the progression same theme Yep. Mm-hmm. Exact same theme. Yep. It'll keep you humble. Yep. yep. So that list of uh, what were the character traits that you self assessment that you were grading people on? Oh, I can't remember, but it was it was it was tactical type stuff. Yeah. Mixed in with some character traits, but it was mostly tactical stuff. It was like it was like six or seven things. Yeah. Uh, things that aren't quite on the Navy eval or the Navy fit rep, but you know how is your tactical decision how do you rate yourself on tactical decision making yeah how do you rate yourself on being able to read terrain like it was just simple things like that that are are very very important from a leadership perspective like reading terrain and we could sit here and talk all day i mean you you uh must be a master of reading terrain but reading terrain for tactical reasons which is kind of what you do as well mm-hmm. you know where the dead space is and then from a tactical perspective in a firefight it's like okay where can i get the high ground where can i where is dead space where i can't get shot so the better a leader is at reading terrain not only pr- not only during the operation but prior to the operation understanding it and it goes in urban environments as well what does that terrain look like how do i read that terrain so it was, it was things like that yeah. I'll, I'll try and think about what that list says and and give it to you well, I was, well, my follow-up question was going to be, what category would you rate yourself the highest on, and which one would you give yourself the lowest marks on? Uh, you know, I, I was always felt like I could do better at everything. That's, that's the way I always felt. You know, the things that I was, I was usually pretty good at, I was usually pretty good at looking at complex things and making them simple. And that's probably due to the fact I'm just dumb, and I just thought, okay, I'm a caveman. <laughs> this looks really complicated. I'm going to pick, I'm going to simplify this thing. So I was, I was, I was always pretty good at that, and I was always pretty good at detaching from all the stuff that was happening, and and figuring out what is really happening. So th- those are things that I was pretty good at. Um, I was always loud, you know. I could I could raise my voice and be loud, and that's important. That wasn't one of the characteristics, but you know, as a leader, that was a thing that I really found to be useful was to be to was to be able to be loud and most of the guys that I put through training could do it. Occasionally we get a guy that wasn't loud, and if yep. they didn't figure out a way to compensate for that, which you could easily do, because you've got 
you know, if there's 15 guys in a SEAL platoon and you're not loud, or there's 16 guys in a SEAL platoon and you're not loud, there's 15 guys that are loud. So all you have to do is get the loud guys to pass the word, and you'll be fine. Yeah. And there was actually a a, a guy that that came through training that was a leader and he wasn't loud and I thought to myself he's gonna have a problem but he he was also really smart and he's the one the first person that I saw literally pass the word in spoken you know uh, room normal voice to his loudest e5s who would then put the word out and they would make it happen I said oh he's very clever this guy <laughs> and, and, it, and it worked really well yeah. and that is a, a, a lesson that I learned and it, it doesn't just apply to being loud it applies to being a leader and if you're a leader and you're gonna have weaknesses right you're gonna have weaknesses and when you have weaknesses you find people that are gonna complement your weaknesses and, and cover for you on the the areas where you're not strong and so I always did my best to identify people that could cover my weaknesses for me I tell people um, when they ask me about teamwork and leadership the best leaders that I've ever seen spend more than enough time trying to identify people much smarter and more capable than they are to staff their own personal weaknesses because it's not about them it's about the team absolutely and some people are intimidated by that and they think oh if Andy's better than me at planning and I let him plan this everyone's gonna look at him like he's a better planner than me and the the reality is they are gonna look at you and think you're a better planner than me and then they're gonna realize wow Jocko is a humble guy that would rather we win than he gets to make the decision on the plan and you know what that's right i would rather win than have it be my ego driven plan that we're going to execute i don't care and so let's pick the best plan and if your plan's better i'm going to pick that thing all day long i think there's a a really good absorption rate with simplicity i mean people people comment that my coaching's good but all i've done is taken all the coaching that I've had over a plethora of years and literally just said, how do I break this down to where it's really all that matters when it comes to cause and effect. And so with you, you know, I told you, I'm like, give me two hours. I'm going to be pretty confident. I'm going to be pretty confident. I can get you on a road to where you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to, you know, build your confidence in what you're doing and you're going to be able to understand it and compute it. And then I'm also going to be able to follow up without confusing you because I'm not, what I always tell people is I think good, good leaders or good coaches are ones that realize that they're not going to be there all the time and they have to be able to self-assess. And if you give them too much to chew on, self-assessment is really hard when, you know, even the fact that you had six questions, I would argue that that's better than having, you know, a 20, yeah. 20 part checklist, because in the end, people probably aren't going to be able to, they're not going to be able to absorb 20 different things they need to work on. But if there's six that are literally the key points to where then if you find one that's weak and you can maybe break that down a little more at that time and say, you know, okay, let's look at this a little more. So if this is your if this is your weakness, let's just put a magnifying glass on that. Yeah. And let's break this into three parts. What if we just make this part better? Is the whole thing gonna get better? Yeah. Okay, what if we make two of these better? You're comfortable with those two? Now three. Yeah. And now now all of a sudden that weakness is their biggest strong point and because of that their confidence is is higher than it ever was prior to that. 
so what you just described in it really relates to decentralized command as a leader and what you said is hey look if you give me all this information I'm not gonna be able to self-assess I'm not gonna be able to do it on my own because I'm not gonna know what to look at but if you give me like the broad guidance and I understand the simple things clearly then I can make assessments and in, that means on the battlefield I can make decisions because I know what it is you want me to do I know the goal that you have in mind for me instead of you telling me exactly what you exactly every little detail well now I'm confused and I don't even know where I'm going in the end what I really need to know is where are we going and I'll do my best to get us there and then you give me some guidelines that I stay within and as long as I'm doing that we're good and then guess what guess what a good leader does with decentralized command occasionally you come in and you check and say let me take a look at what you got and I go hey here's where we're going here's okay that looks good adjust this a little bit adjust that a little bit okay great I can do that and we move forward so that's that's as a as a leader as a teacher you use that method that's perfect stop no way i got questions <laughs> let's hear them no it's actually Is um it jujitsu are you trying to one up me now no i'll do all I that when mats. they're not here I'll, obviously i'll ask all the pertinent jujitsu questions when you're not in the room so i can get ahead <laughs> Duh. it's day one stuff and jocko and i will facetime every day as he teaches me techniques <laughs> i like how we <laughs> I like how we were playing for like a minute, and then you just said, "Okay, okay, you two need to stay friends." Let's. Oh, I yeah, like yeah, how yeah. it went from zero to 150 <laughs> yeah, miles an yeah. hour in a second. Well, and and you guys are at a stage where you can really accidentally hurt each other, yeah. you know. And it's just, I'm thinking to myself, you want to skydive, you have a a life that revolves around the use of your shoulders and arms, <laughs> and you know you do too. And I don't want either one of you guys uh, smashed, breaking each other, and twisting something for some stupid reason. And uh, although. I guess this is this is really a, a sad sign of my maturity <laughs> because like five years ago I'd been like I would have let that go and I would have egged it on. <laughs> How are you gonna let him do that to you, you little bitch? Yeah. You gonna let him get your hand like that? I know. Uh, but it's fascinating. Um, I love sitting down and talking with people with different backgrounds about leadership, especially sitting across the table talking to you, because we never directly worked with or for each other. It was peripheral. Mm -hmm. And that's why I was asking you, um, like, kind of about your background, you know, and where you learned the lessons, because I, like, I read your book, Extreme Ownership, and it's like, turn the page, you're like, yep, I know that one. Yep, I know that one. And even though we never worked directly together, the origin is... Um, you know, you brought who you were to the Navy. I brought who I was to the Navy. You know, I brought an inch taller to the Navy. I just want to point that out that I'm slightly taller than you. What's hilarious is that your self-image was way shorter in Jocko's, and I will attest to that. Do <laughs> you remember? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> How did that even come to be? Uh, I don't know. People think I'm taller than I am. I'm five eleven. He, he thought you were I way weigh two hundred and thirty five like, pounds. Dude, Jocko's way taller than me. I go. <laughs> uh, I met him in an airport. I'm pretty sure he said, "I think you're the same size." He's like, "Oh no, he's way taller." Yeah, yeah that was off by three inches. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people when they meet me, they're they're they think I'm smaller, shorter. And they, they're like, they're surprised I'm not in black and white since I do all my pictures. <laughs> back. That's right. We met in that airport. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah, we originally met in the airport. We literally walked by one another and then uh, 
Well, the only thing the only re- thing we had in common was we were both both yeah. uh, fr- friends of Joe's. Yeah. So yeah. we just kind of took a quick selfie and yeah, that's I right. think you shot it to Joe. I, I sent it to Joe. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, we just kept walking, and then that was it. In an airport, random. New, I think it was New. Wasn't it New York? I think it was New York. Yeah. Who spotted who? I uh, spotted him. Yeah. 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 I literally walked by and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because you can see everybody. See everybody. Yes. <laughs> Chaco was going through the airport like Jason Bourne. He like looked at me. He's like defenseless. <laughs> Friggin' looked at me and I thought like he caught eye contact. I'm like, why is he checking me out? But then he just like literally just looked right through me and kept going sheep. <laughs> A giraffe. I had that. I'll freaking hyena bite that when I was in Africa and I and I had eye contact with a rhino oh no and um i was like oh this is what this feels like because <laughs> i can't take that thing out that thing could kill me i was like well that doesn't feel good i don't like that feeling and and if you you know that's that's one of those ego things where i didn't i don't like that feeling of of hey this person could take me and that's one of the reasons be, why i became very into jujitsu because just knowing that hey i don't want like the first time <sighs> Really, it was a, a buddy of mine that was a SEAL that had just gotten obsessed with jiu-jitsu. And we started together. We started training together. This old, old Master Chief taught us, like, the basics. I was telling you guys the other night, like, I t- taught us, like, the most fundamental basics. And then when we got home from, that was on deployment. We got home from that deployment. And this guy, uh, Jeff Higgs is his name, awesome guy, he he learned, he went and found a place and started training all the time. And then he came over to my house, like, two or three years later. Did he tell you about it when he found it? Yeah, he he told Damn me about it, it, but he didn't like. Uh, he didn't he didn't say, "Hey man, Good you got to come down." He he kind of he might have whispered about it, like didn't wasn't super strong. I'll have to, I'll have to I ask needed Jeff you about to say that. no, but yeah. he didn't tell. You. Uh, so he so, but I will say this: after him training hardcore for like three years, he calls me up. He's like, "Hey, do you want to train?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Here we go." Yeah, I'm like, "Cool, yeah, man, come on over." He comes over and just ties me up like a pretzel. And I was like, okay, this is not going to happen to me ever again if I can help it. And I went down and signed up and I started training all the time so that I wouldn't be in a situation where where someone could impose their will on me because I hate that feeling. Did it help you with your philosophy on leadership? It 100% helped me on my philosophy. Oh, my leadership. gosh. And, and I'll tell you, and I talked about this. I did a podcast about judo, and I talked about this this whole idea of of – I think for me, jujitsu started to connect the various things. Because when I started seeing it in jujitsu, then I started seeing it in combat, and then I started seeing it in leadership. That's like the kind of how it went. The classic example is like in jujitsu, you can't do, you can't attack. I can't just attack your arm. If I attack your arm, you can defend it because you know what I'm doing. If you know any jujitsu at all, you know what I'm doing. So I have to attack your arm. I have to I have to set up on your arm, but then I gotta go for something else. I gotta flank you. And so I realized I was like, oh, I do this in jujitsu. And here's what you do when you're on the battlefield. You 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 put down covering fire and then you flank the enemy. That's how you beat him. Oh, okay, cool. What about if a guy's got a giant ego that you're trying to work with? Do you attack that ego? No, you don't. You give that ego a little massage. You get a little bit of you yeah. get a little bit little pieces of bread. And then while you're doing that, you come around the side and you get inside their brain and you start working on them from the inside. So that's like one of the many, many examples of how this all started to tie together for me. And again, the more I saw the way 
the more the way revealed itself in every other thing that I saw. Looking back on your time in the teams, uh, and I'm going to ask this because it's interesting the questions I get about you because they will ask me because I think they're afraid to ask you. (laughs) (laughs) People, some people seem to know that we know each other. We talked about this when I was on your podcast too. It's like, it's okay, people, if we like, we can go back and forth a little bit online. Like we actually know each other. It's going to be just fine. You don't need to come out of the Twitter bleachers and just try to go (laughs) nuclear. Like it's, I'm baffled constantly by the things that people do. Um, What would be the best way to describe this? You cut a wide path. It's um, and knowing you, we don't know know each other incredibly well, but I know you well enough to know that you're just like any other person, right? There's ups and downs, and it's a sine wave. And I I have found that a lot of people looking at you from the outside are like, dude, there's no sine wave to this guy. He's just straight across the board. No ups, no downs, no struggles. It's four thirty in the morning, steak, and unfortunately, mint chip ice cream, right? <laughs> um. I know you well enough to know that's not the case, uh, and I, I would say my leadership failures outweigh my, maybe potentially outweigh my successes. They're the ones that hang with me the most. Where I, like for me, the question I'm going to ask you is what's, what's looking back at your time in the SEAL teams, what would you say was your biggest leadership failure? And for me, I look back at those things, and I know I've had moments where I gave in to emotion, and I let it take control, and I pushed it too hard, and just then realized later on, like, oh, my God. I was actually in charge in that moment, and comp- I might as well just, not that I wore a collar device in the field, but just throw it for the example that I set to the people. And the, and I felt guilty afterwards and still do because it was a terrible example to set, and I hope that nobody had that imprinted on them as that was the way it was supposed to be. But that also has driven me to try to be a better example in the other things that I do as well. So do you have... Can you think back? As yeah, far? I mean, I mean, c- clearly for me, the worst thing that happened to me was it, it's the first chapter of extreme ownership. It's having a fratricide, having a blue on blue, with a friendly Iraqi soldier getting killed by one of my guys. One of my guys getting wounded. Another two or three Iraqi soldiers getting wounded. Um, having uh, my guys in a building where a, a v a Humvee pulls up and puts a hundred and fifty rounds of fifty caliber machine gun into the building from twenty meters away. Um, yeah, this is a nightmare and you, you know when I when I look back on it that was absolutely um, horrible and You know in, in combat bad things are gonna happen I mean there, there's you can do everything right and and you can still get killed I mean you can still lose guys and You can look back at it and you can torture yourself saying well What could I have done differently? Well, you could obviously done things different you can always look and say well We we didn't have to do that mission and there's all kinds of emotions You can get tied around in that respect to say like you know like what you said John earlier like you can't the arrows gone, right? but That's the situation where I, I look back and and I realized hey There's things that I should have done better and I didn't do them and so it was a horrible situation and that's that you know I did what I what I What I knew to do and you know, and it it did take me some time to come to that conclusion and Realizing that when I say come to that conclusion come to the conclusion to say you know what guys this was my fault Mm -hmm. that was hard to do and It was kind of like what you said John of turning like it was I went from 
defensive def- and this is all just in my brain I went from being very defensive about what happened like hey it was you know the Iraqis did this and this Marines did this and the soldiers did that and it was their fault and I, I didn't verbalize any of that thank God thank God I didn't because I was just trying to figure out where I was gonna point the finger and as I sat there and tried to figure out where I was gonna point the finger I, I could I didn't feel comfortable with any of it and the reason I didn't feel comfortable with any of it is because I had been raised luckily by the my the guys that I respect in the SEAL teams was when you screw something up, you own it. Yep. And this wasn't like the first time I ever took ownership of, I mean, this, I took every, I took, I had taken ownership for years of every time something went bad. When I was going through the workup with my task unit, when I wouldn't say, hey, the, the platoon commander screwed this up, I'd be like, hey, I didn't brief the platoon commander well enough, or I didn't tell the machine gunners what they needed to do. I would take responsibility for that. And just like I talk about all the time, those guys, brought that same attitude once I started taking ownership they'd be like no boss you don't need to do that that's my fault but so this wasn't like the first time I ever said I need to take responsibility but this is the first time where okay first of all a guy's dead one of my guys wounded I'm looking at my wounded guy in the back of the room who's got his face wrapped up because he's got 50 cal frag in his head and I mean does that is that a miracle that you're not dead yes it indeed is I mean I talked to him like a month ago and he's like yeah He's like, yeah, I was, he was on the rooftop of the building mm-hmm. and there's 50 cal rounds coming through the concrete and he lays down and he, and he has a sniper gun, which is now like in a pile and he lays down, he pulls out his pistol and he's like, yeah, I'm going to die. And if this 50 cal doesn't, if the, what, what they, they didn't think it was a 50 cal, um, they thought it was, they thought it was a dishka. Yeah. They thought it was a Dishka, a 12.7 millimeter Dishka, which, by the way, that very guy had 12 hours earlier, 12 hours earlier, he'd been shot out of a sniper tower by a Dishka and had the, had the stock blown off of his rifle, off of his sniper rifle with an RPG. And so when he's so now he's getting shot. It's been twelve hours. He's getting shot at with the disco again. He just thinks, okay, well, yeah. this is just par for the course for my dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> but but looking at him, and you know, he's in the back of the room, and I, he should very well be dead, as could every single guy yeah. in that element. And you know, and I said to my so so to swallow that and say to myself, okay, you, this this is your fault, and it's not just saying like. Okay, this was my fault guys. It's like no 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 no. Let me explain this to you everything that just happened That is actually because I fucking failed as a leader. That's why and so that is Something that you know, I'll I'll never forget and I hope that other people, you know can learn from it But it it, it hurts. Yeah, for sure You got anything else stud? I only got one more thing What? Uh Thank you for what you do. Um, I'm very appreciative of the fact that you have the platform and the voice that you do. It, uh, we got lucky, I think, in the community. And I, I mean, I got, I got lucky early, early on. My parents set my moral compass for me well. I learned a lot of lessons that were reinforced in the SEAL teams with bricks in my hands when I was 11. And my dad would just say, yeah, there's 500, put them on the roof. I'm like... My dad, I'm only 11 years old, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I only weigh 120 pounds. Like, and he's like, yeah, cool. Um, lunch is at noon, and it's 8, and they better be up there by 930. Because then when you're done with that, those other 500 bricks, they need to go. And So I learned I learned hard work and like goal setting and all that stuff, and I took some of that into the teams, and it definitely got reinforced because I had the same experience of, for me, 
pointing out bad catastrophic leadership, it's like, oh, let me write that down. Pointing out really good leadership, I struggle with sometimes because it's so effortless and seamless that stuff is just getting done because so many people are empowered and they're like, God damn it, how is that guy doing that? But I think you help fill the void between those two by explaining it a lot more and your reach is awesome. And I, God, there's a lot of things I would like to change about our society. The Probably the number one for me would be is that people would just think of themselves as a leader regardless of who they are and they acted accordingly or at least tried and went on the journey of self-realization like, oh, I suck right now. Maybe I could do a better job. Um, and I think you're driving the spear right into the chest of that man and it's awesome and it helps me out a ton i love listening to your podcast um i point people to your book all the time they'll pay me to like come speak in an organization like oh what book do you recommend like have you ever heard of jocko i know you have because you're wearing a shirt you weirdo (laughs) Um, but you need to go and like and like i point people at it i'm i'm super appreciative of the fact that you have the platform that you do so Dude, keep doing what you're doing, and thank you for doing what you're doing post, obviously, military service, because that's, you know, something in and of itself. Well, thanks for having me on. It's a, to, it's an honor to have this platform. It's an honor. It's an honor to, for me, to be able to share stories. You know, a lot of what I do is share stories of people that were, were in and in the military and made incredible sacrifices, and it's really, really easy to forget it. And it's also really easy to go to a movie and watch something about it and think, okay, well, that's that that's what happened, and I kind of get it now. But it's like, no, you don't get it. When you hear it from the people and their voice that they that they wrote about, I think that that's the most powerful way to get it, actually. I think it's the most powerful way to get it. And it's an honor for me to be able to share the stories, and I'm, I'm super stoked that other people are listening to them out there. And obviously, you know, thanks for your service. You came on my podcast a while ago. So if anybody is wondering if they want to listen to Andy, what, what, do you know what podcast you were on? I know it was in the 60s. I want to say 64. Okay, so yeah, Andy was on my podcast 64. I'm sure we'll do it again at some point. And uh, this has been a really cool couple days. John, again, appreciate everything you did for me uh, with the bow and with the instruction. And I, I love adding that to my quiver of things that I have. So that's You see awesome. what he did there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Real good like that. <laughs> yeah. Sneaky little guy. Hell yeah. Right awesome. On, right on, gents. Thanks, man. Yep. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com